Would you take your Bibles and we'll turn. We just read some of this, but we want to continue to read and review this Sermon on the Mount. We're, we're taking it from the angle in this series of when Jesus is your King. And we're recognizing that as, as, we, as we go to this, these are signs of health. So that's why we read through them. In Matthew chapter 5, our scripture reading begins there in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We launch off today with this reality. We're looking today at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Would you pray with me? Father, we're asking that you would come and work together with us today. We come and we ask that because we believe that you want to do that more than we understand. Father, we ask for you to do that because we believe that you long, that you come, that you are the God who comes to us. So we we rejoice in that. No matter where we've been this week, no matter what it is our area of sin that we're struggling with, or sins, Lord, even if we think uh, that we're not even sure that we should be in this place, or if people knew us, God, that, that, that it, I don't know, sometimes we feel unworthy even to come be with your people, and that's not true. I, I want to ask today that you would help us Make us teachable. Help us to listen to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So today as we come to this, uh, this aspect, I want to remind us of a few things. First of all, when we talk through this word blessed, what's the concept behind there? Well, we've said blessed. Really, you could translate it and say essentially congratulations. Congratulations, if you're someone who feels like this, if you're someone who recognizes this, if you are somebody who really is poor in spirit, congratulations. 
If, if you're someone who mourns over your sin, congratulations. Jesus is in the position of a rabbi and he's teaching. Now notice that the teaching position of a rabbi is to sit down and his students would stand around him and listen to him. So as he's on this mountainside, he is teaching. And he's saying, congratulations. If this is where your heart is, you're in good place. The first three things that we saw as we go through this, this idea of being poor in spirit, of being those who mourn, and being those who meek, are meek are the are the kind of characteristics that look inside as I look I'm looking to see do I have that this fourth one we begin to look for but what happens is we begin to look outside of ourselves so there's a transition that comes here uh, there's a transition that begins to move because we start looking outside of ourselves for the answer for these and this is when he says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness Instead of looking inside, they're looking outside now. We need righteousness. So that's what we want to talk about today. I want to really answer just these three questions. What are we to hunger for? What does righteousness mean? And who wants to be satisfied? What are we to hunger for? What does righteousness mean? And who wants to be satisfied? So that's really our path for today. So let me ask you this question. Hunger and thirst. Anyone uh, you know, at all versed in those things? Have you ever experienced hunger or thirst? Some of you have to be admitting it right now. right? Because you're even just sitting right now going, I'm hungry already. Hunger and thirst. One of the realities of them is that they are incredibly powerful realities, aren't they? When we, when, we, when we feel hunger and thirst, when we talk about what are we to hunger for, let's just remind ourselves, hunger and thirst really are on a scale, aren't they? Because sometimes hunger is just that little gnawing that kind of goes off right before bed, right? And we're, and we're kind of thinking, oh, I could eat a little bit more right now. Or, or maybe at some point during your day, it's that little gnawing that seems to go on. But how extreme does hunger get? You can die from it, can't you? How about thirst? Have you ever been thirsty? Times where we just think, oh, I need a little sip. But what, what is it that, that also that can lead to? Times where we can die of thirst. These are very powerful kind of terms. What's the other reality though about hunger and thirst? Do we ever get over being hungry? Really? Because what's the cycle? The cycle is I get hungry so I eat. But what's going to happen next? I'm going to get hungry again. Something important for us to recognize about this, the, the Sermon on the Mount, when we look at these Beatitudes, is it's, it's built into this. Jesus is saying this is not just a one-time thing that happens in your life where you hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's saying that there's this pattern that shows up in our lives. And he's saying if you see that pattern, if you see this, this, this pattern that continues on, not something that just passes... But if you see something that continues in your life that says, I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Congratulations. I also just want to point this. Hunger and thirst are something that are so deep 
and they're so profound that they go on until when? Until they're satisfied. Isn't that amazing what Jesus says about them? If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be what? Satisfied. But we're going to see this looping that goes on here. Here's the key question, though, that I first want to address is, what are we supposed to hunger for here? What does he say that we should hunger for? Now, I'll ask questions a lot of times, and people are actually allowed to answer, so that's just that's okay. But what are we supposed to hunger for? Righteousness. In a minute, we're going to go back and we're going to define the term. Let's just ask the question, what does it not say that we're supposed to hunger for? Or what are some of the things that we tend to hunger? Is this, is this a unique thing? Is this a different thing? Have you ever hungered and thirsted for something other than righteousness? Twinkies. Okay, Sandy got in touch with me the other day, and it was a real toss-up between Twinkies and the Pop-Tarts. And he went with the Twinkies, and we think that's going to add at least 20 more years to his life because he's got enough preservatives in him that he'll never, never go. But do you see this image of hungering, thirsting? I mean, think about that. Not just food, but can't food be one of those items that people can hunger and thirst for and live for? And is that, is that good for us? No. We need to eat. Is, 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 is being hungry, you know, when you walk past, you know, like next Sunday night, when we get together, you're going to walk in the building, you're going to smell all this great food. And when you walk in the building, is that a bad thing to th- all of a sudden have your stomach go, Arr! it's going to be a good thing, isn't it? It's what we should want. But what's the problem? When does that become a problem? Everybody's quiet. Yeah, when all of a sudden I live for that. When that's what I need. When, when, I, when I can't be happy unless I have that. What are some other areas like that that we hunger and thirst for? Just in our society today, what are some of the things that people hunger and thirst for? Comfort. Comfort is definitely a huge one, right? We want to just be comfortable. We wish all the hard times would pass away. What are some other things? Money. Money. Okay, money. That was a double. I heard two at once on the same one. So money is another one. We hunger and we thirst for money. And, and, and where does that become? Is it wrong to have money? Is it wrong to earn a good wage? No, but where does that become a problem? Okay, when it becomes our focus, when it's what we live for. And isn't it funny? Some people who have a lot of money can live for money. But aren't there some who don't have any money who can live for money too? Yes, absolutely. Yes. And, and both groups. So, so this isn't just a haves or have nots. Sometimes somebody who has a lot of food can hunger for more food, and somebody who has no food can hunger for the same thing. So let's not just put this in a category like, oh, bad people who have these things. There's a lot that we can live for. How about success? How about leaving our stamp on the world? Aren't there appropriatenesses to those things? How about wanting to be loved? 
I mean, think about all the areas that we can go through when we're talking about hunger and thirst here. I think one of the key things that's in this passage that Jesus is not saying that we should hunger and thirst for is blessing. Notice he says, blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst. But he doesn't say hunger and thirst to be blessed. Sometimes that's the first thing that we think of. God, if you would just bless me. God, I'd like to learn how to live with a million dollars. You kind of taught me how to live with nothing. Now can we work on the other side where I have too much? I'd I'd like to learn that, that class. Or God, right now you're walking me through pain and difficulty and it just seems unrelenting. Can I work on the part of being content with everything going my way for once? You ever felt like that? We hunger and thirst for a lot of things. But what are we supposed to hunger and thirst for? Righteousness. So let's go on to the second question then. Not just what are we to hunger for, but what does righteousness mean? When Jesus says righteousness, I want to take a look at this for a second. What is righteousness? Bottom line, righteousness ties in with the reality that all human beings feel this deep urge and need to justify their existence. Amen? Now, I might justify it by I have more fun than anybody else. Or, or I'm the fun dad. You know, maybe, maybe that's kind of the image. Someone else says, no, I'm going to raise up kids that are going to be responsible. Someone else justifies their existence by the work that they've done and the legacy that they're going to leave behind them because of, of, of that. Other people justify themselves by saying, I'm a good person. It is just deep down baseline necessary. It's built into the bios of our, of our system to want to justify our existence to show that my life, I didn't just take up air for 40, 50, 60, 70 years. I want to know that my life really matters. I want to know that it's important. Do you feel like that? Do you sense that? Now sometimes in our 20s we're, we're maybe a little more satisfied with whatever that answer might be. But as we get a little bit older, I think more and more we begin to wrestle with that. So what's Jesus saying about righteousness? He's saying that that deep need can only be met in one place to justify my life. Basically, what Jesus is saying here is, if your one supreme desire in life is to know God, and to be deeply connected to Him, congratulations. Congratulations. If, if that is the one deep hunger that you find in your life. Now, now, what does He say? Does He say that if you live in such a way, because this is the danger, when it, with, with that need to justify ourselves, we either look outside of ourselves or we look inside of ourselves. Sometimes we look inside of ourselves and say, okay, if I live by this code, I will justify. My life will be righteous. If I can do this much, then my life will count. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to. Sometimes, in a similar way, 
We look outside of ourselves, but we look in unhealthy places. If I can simply get you to like me, if I can find your approval, if, if you think well of me, then my life will count. Do you see how this, that's, that's an external form of justification? If my kids only grew up thinking that I'm really a good dad, if I could get you know, my spouse to love me, these types of things. If, if the world knew my name, then my life would be justified. That's not the biblical term. Let me just give you three aspects of righteousness that, that are at least included in here. And, and we're blessed today to be able to look past what, what Jesus is sharing here. He understands this, and then we have the benefit of getting to see these, these areas. But the very first one that I want us to see, when it comes to this righteousness, do you and do I, do we hunger, do we thirst for God's righteousness? Not that we make God righteous, but do we hunger, do we thirst for the world to see God as righteous? What does that mean? Well, John Piper said this, the righteousness of God is his unswerving commitment to preserve the honor of his name and display his glory. We live in a day and age where what we've done is we sit there, if you ask somebody what is life about, what they'll tell you is their story, what they're doing. They're always the center or the hero of the story. But the Bible presents it differently. The Bible says, no, God is the hero of the story. Here's the difference that that makes. If I believe that life is about me, and I run into cancer, what do I believe about whether or not life is good? Well, my automatic temptation is to say life is not good. I automatically say, this is not a good story. And what do I believe about God? I either have to say He is not involved, or I have to say that He is not good. But if I am able to see life as God saying, first and foremost, you've got to recognize the story of history is a story of God and what God is doing in the world, then what does that mean for me? It changes my perspective, doesn't it? Because at that moment, challenging as it is, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying that this is what we lead with when we go to talk to other people. But this is the perspective that we really need to walk through. Is the ability to sit there and say, God, I trust you. I love you. I know you are taking care of me through my cancer. I know that you're doing good things and not harmful things because I trust you. God's righteousness is the first aspect that we need to see that we begin to just hunger and thirst. Let me just put this, remind you though, like we said, there's a sliding scale. You might sit here today and say, oh man, I'm not just ready to die if God does not get that kind of glory. Do you, do you do sense inside your own life those times where you begin to go, I'm hungry for that. I want that. There's, there's more of that today than there was yesterday. If there is, Jesus is saying congratulations. Your heart is headed the right way. 
Your soul is growing. You're being nurtured the right direction. Second aspect of our righteousness that, that we hunger and thirst for is, is uh, found in Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the area of our righteousness which is our justification. Justify is a legal word, and, and it's kind of like the word sentenced or the word condemned. It describes a verdict. When God justifies, he declares or he pronounces a person to be righteous. Have you come to that point in your life? Have you turned to Jesus? Have you hungered and thirsted? Do you, do you remember a time in your life where you hungered and thirsted to be able to be made right? To have somebody else pay the debt for the sin that you owed? Did, did you struggle with that? Did you, did you mourn? Were you poor in spirit? Did you mourn over your sin? Were you able to be meek in that moment? We, we've really boiled down uh, salvation in the United States at least and, and, and around so much of the world to the fact that one time I went forward, I prayed a prayer. But Jesus is saying, no, there's actually, you can, you can track the Sermon on the Mount, these Beatitudes, to say this is what happens inside someone's soul when they are drawn to Christ. They're meek. They mourn their sin. It, it, it's something that goes deeper than just a one-time decision where I saw, oh, this would be valuable or beneficial for me. What we, what we tend to find is that so many people come to us, we talk to them, we've been hanging out with them, we've been discussing who Jesus is with them, and at some point we finally have to sit there and say, you know, you know you're saved, don't you? I mean, do you realize that? Because we see these types of hearts in them. Jesus came. I mean, this is such good news for us. Because you might be here today saying, yeah, Jesus could save a lot of people, but I don't think he could save me. J Jesus might like other people, but I don't think he could forgive me. Or if you knew what I had done, I don't think there's any forgiveness for that. The truth, the reality is that there should be this deep longing. If you're sensing that longing, that desire to just have someone finally forgive you, that's the promise that Jesus is making here. He's saying, hey, if that's the direction of your heart, congratulations. That's where it should be going. When we look at the gospel that way, though, there's a third aspect that's important because we also see that the justification is not just that positionally God has forgiven us. It's the reality that God also then begins to transform us. Sanctification. We become different. We long to see that type of righteousness, what God has said about us, begin to define us every single day of our life. So we begin to talk about this term, right-useness. Right-useness. We long for our lives to begin to have a right-useness. Instead of me using people, I want to be set free to serve people. Instead of me um, trying to gain from you, I want to be a servant the way that Jesus calls us and says, this is the good life. 
So we have these three aspects. God's righteousness, our justification, which is our righteousness given to us once and for all. And then we have this third area, our sanctification, which is God's righteousness transforming us day in and day out. But what does that flow out of? What does that flow out of? I want to share a story here, an illustration. And it's something that um, Jack Miller put together in this, this study called Sonship. And um, it's a really great, uh, encouraging, deep study. So if you wanted to give yourself towards something valuable to work with with other people, I want to I give that to you. But here's a lady, and she wrote this. So I'm just going to read it the way, that she, the way that she wrote it. But just track with me for a second, because I want to illustrate the difference between hungering and thirsting for righteousness versus kind of listening to ourselves about what we think God thinks about us. She wrote this. She said, The Holy Spirit really dealt with my husband and me at the Sonship Week conference in answer to many prayers. I'm seeing that as good theology and teaching techniques, I mean, as good as theology and teaching techniques are, it's the Holy Spirit alone who changes my heart. He tears down the idols and pride and replants the simplicity of faith in Christ. I realized that my greatest sin was unbelief and so lightly esteeming all that God has given me in Christ. One day when I was very young, I saw my older sister hanging up my father's white business shirts on the clothesline to dry. I was suddenly filled with the urge to hang up one of my daddy's white shirts. He was my daddy too. And I was his daughter. I loved him in my childlike way and I wanted to express it. Couldn't reach the clothesline. It was too high. But I saw a wheelbarrow over in the yard, and its handles were just the right height for me. I didn't notice how rusty it was. And I rather joyfully closed pinned the wet shirt to the handles. When my dad got home and he saw the shirt on the wheelbarrow, he became very angry with me. And he punished me severely for ruining his shirt. I had not realized the impact that that event and others like it had made on me. However, I was repeatedly convinced, convicted during the Sonship Conference for not believing God concerning His delight in me and in the gracious nature of my relationship with Him. But that memory returned to me. Um, as I remember these scenes from the past, I saw that through the years... I had not been believing that my Father in Heaven was any different than my earthly father. I had not been listening when he described himself. In short, I hadn't believed the Gospel that by faith in Christ and his perfect atoning sacrifice, he now loves me and is forever for me and delighted in me. In Christ, he has made me beautiful and pleasing to him forever. So the next morning, I told our counselor that I thought I was beginning to understand. I told him the memory, and I said that if, I guess that if the father saw me standing next to the wheelbarrow with the ruined shirt on it, he would forget the shirt and hug me. You don't fully understand, Jeff said. God would not overlook the shirt, but he would take it, and he would put it on, and he would wear it to work. 
And when someone commented on the rust marks, he would say, let me tell you about my little girl and how much she loves me. And I was overwhelmed with that realization. I'm beginning to realize that my Christian life has been a continual effort to earn God's pleasure by getting the shirts hung up right. God would answer my prayer if it was right. God would smile on me if my theology was right. And since I knew I had failed day by day in my works, I sort of snuck them up on the line and tried to be away when God got home, so to speak. Someone at the conference said something that seems to apply here. He said, God will not despise the tainted love gifts of the sinner who looks to Jesus. My entire Christian life had been oppressive. I did not know how to live day by day without an overwhelming sense of failure to perform up to what I thought God demanded. With that came a sense of God being disappointed and even disgusted with me. But now because of Christ, I can experience a daily freedom to move out into people's lives. Do You see, there's this righteousness that comes from God. It gets illustrated here to see, hey, God loving, paying for, accepting that, and then loving carefully his people. But what that does for us is it frees me then to be able to return the same love to others. So let me just ask you this. Does your heart hunger to be accepted by God the way that she shares it here? Or are you just more familiar with the same idea of trying to get the shirts on the line and get out of the way so that when God comes home, He won't be quite as angry? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness does not mean that you look up and say, Hey, I've done everything that's righteous. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness means that you look to someone else to provide your righteousness. To love you. To give to you. Do you find a hunger for that in your soul? I really pray that you do. So we asked, what are we supposed to hunger for and what does righteousness mean? Let me just ask this at the very end. Let me just kind of point this out. Who wants to be satisfied? Because if you've got that hunger, no matter how small you say your righteousness is, no matter how good you feel you perform up to your standards, if that righteousness comes from Christ rather than from yourself, what's the reality here? What will be the result? You and I will be what? Satisfied. Do you experience that? Let's go back to the first part. It's going to be cyclical, right? Because what's the very next thing that's going to happen? We're going to hunger for more righteousness. We're going to thirst to be different people. We're going to long for more for our world. Not because we're angry at our world for acting the way that the world would act, but we're going to want more for them. 
We're going to want for them to understand this, to experience what it's like to be accepted fully, forgiven completely. I realize some of you are still like me. You struggle with that. You struggle with that. I realize that some of you are like me and that you think, you know what? I don't want to hunger and thirst for righteousness because righteousness could never satisfy anybody. What I hunger and thirst for is this and this and this and this. But when we try to define what life is all about for ourselves, we come up with the wrong solutions. We give ourselves to things that could never fill us, satisfy us. Isn't there some place in your life where you've done that? Something that you thought, man, if I could just do th- Getting married. <laughs> getting married, that's going to fill my life. Amen? It's going to complete me. At that moment, I will be eternally happy. You're having kids. Having kids, that's another great one, right? Because that's going to complete me. That's going to satisfy me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be so, you know, just I, I won't need another thing once I have a kid. There's snickering going on. Or, or a car. You know, we talk about that a lot, you know. But if I just had a new car, or if I just had a different job, or if I just had, think of all the things we hunger and thirst for. I could just look like that person on TV, or if I could just lose that weight, or if my life could be your life and your life become my life, whatever, whatever, whatever it is we think. The problem is when we define what should justify our life, what should, where we should find our righteousness in, we'll end up with the wrong answer unless we can, unless we come to who God is. So there's two things I want to point out to us. Number one, uh, something that Diane reminded me of this morning. Because we're asking this question, who wants to be satisfied? Where do you think that the power for spiritual transformation resides? If you're here this morning and you think this power for spiritual transformation resides in me, If you take the sermon today and you go, okay, that's it. I'm going to go out of here and I'm going to hunger for thirst and and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to start to do it. Every morning, I'm going to get up. I'm going to start to hunger for thirst, you know, and thirst for, for righteousness. Does that power for that transformation really reside in you? Do you have the strength to make yourself hunger? Have you ever had your stomach growl and tried to stop it? How well did that work? It, it becomes louder and more distracting, doesn't it? Until when? Until it gets filled. In the same way, can you and I simply say, I today am going to make myself hunger and thirst for righteousness? No, you can't. So where is that power? The power for spiritual transformation comes from the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is preaching here, right, to his disciples. He's telling them the direction they should go. But don't forget what Jesus said. He said, you know what? It's better for me to leave here so I can send a helper. Instead of coming to sit at Jesus' feet, Jesus said, I'm going to come and live in you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to transform you from the inside. And that's the hope that we have. So let's just point this. What do we do? If you want to be somebody who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, I'll tell you this. What do we do? We turn to God and we say, God, first of all, would you make me somebody like that? I, I don't find that on my radar screen at all. I'm not good at this. We, we've talked about this before. Some people, when they walk in here, they think those people are really cut out to be really good Christians. They, they've just got the discipline. They've got the personality. I'm not cut out to be a really good Christian. I, there just must be something deficient in me. In a sense, you're right on part of it. All of us are deficient to do this. But God's heart is to love you, to say, I want to give this to you. I want to make you into someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, and I can do it. I can. So where do we turn? We turn to God. What else do we do? We begin to look in God's Word to find out who God is, not what I need to do. Yeah, I'll get to what I need to do. It happens. I'll find that throughout Scripture. But so many of us go to read the Bible to find out what do I need to do. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me how to become, if I just fulfill all the rules, then I'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where God says, no, that has never worked for anyone. So we pray. We spend time in God's Word. And then the third big gift that God gives to us is each other. I hope, I hope you saw that even today. I needed help. I needed people to come alongside of me. I needed to know what God was going to say. Because in my mind, it doesn't sound like that. And I found that. found that with these brothers who walked with me. And honestly, they made it harder on me than I wanted them to. But they also brought more grace than I expected them to. One of the big gifts for you, maybe you're struggling in sin, one of the gifts that God has given to you is others who are with you. God does not call us to be individual Christians. He calls us to be family. And one of the gifts that He gives to you is to be connected. Remember in the reading as we went through, what do I do though? I isolate myself. I remove myself away from others. I have to cover. I have to protect. I have to make sure I keep you at a distance. I have to make sure you think that I can handle this. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness means that we move towards people who will remind us of who God is and what God's standards are. Call us to holiness. But we move towards them and not away from them. 
So what do we need to really do basically in this? Is we need to plug into Jesus. I know it's kind of a corny phrase. But I'm, I'm picturing a, um, a little object lesson here. But I've got a video projector here. And it works. Um, but you all know what video projectors do, right? Our, our calling is to be like this unit. Imagine if this thing decided to go out and define its own life. To try and find happiness somewhere else. To try and do something with itself. I don't know, it might make a good doorstop. It, it, it might make a slightly small table. It, it could be used as a flashlight. Even when I turn it on, all it does is show this silly screen, which talks about focus and height adjust and enter and zoom. What was it made for? What's this thing made for? Yeah, it's made to reflect something else that's bigger than itself. You and I are made in the same way. We're made to need. We're made to plug in to Jesus, to let Him show His righteousness through us. To glorify Himself. To display Himself through us. It's a pretty weak machine. Because all it can do is show what someone else is putting through it. It has no control. In the same way, Jesus is calling to you and to me to say, hey, let me empower you. Let me define what your life is about. Let me, you, you connect to me and let you display my glory. You, you be the channel through which I'm going to project myself to the world. You need to follow my directions. You need to trust me. And if you do that, I'm going to set you free to live the life that you've always really deeply wanted. That's the calling. So I want to ask you today, is that your hunger? Is that your desire? Is your desire to be connected to Jesus in a deep, astounding way? If it is, you're on the right track. Keep going. Let Him take that. Let Him work through that. Okay? Father, thank You for today. Make us into people who really deeply love You and want to follow You. Please set free some people today who don't think that You want that for them. Lord, I want to pray that if, you, if there are some here today who really think they've got a corner on this and that they're all settled with it, I pray that there would be just a, a poverty of spirit that would be able to see how deeply they really need You still. God, as a church, our hunger and our heart, though, our desire really is for Your righteousness. So please just grow that. Cause that to take root, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.